What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to a podcast about New York sports. Sam joined with Matt, as always, and we have a big mishmash of things to go over. Uh, a little NBA talk later on in the episode with our guy Brandon, but Matt, we, again, so much to talk about. Aaron Rodgers with his best Puxatani Phil impersonation. He comes out of his darkness retreat. Everyone in the world, in the NFL world, waiting on that decision. The Jets think they can hand out Hall of Fame jackets upon signing, apparently. On the other side of New York, what do the Giants do with Daniel Jones? Those talks seem to be ramping up. Uh, and today, Friday afternoon now, we're recording this, or Friday evening, and the new MLB rules were implemented for the first couple of spring training games. We'll have our thoughts on that. The Rangers potentially uh, closing in on yet another blockbuster as they seem to be a true contender in this year's N- uh, NHL season. Um, definitely a lot to get to. No better way to start it than introducing my co-host, Matt. And Matt, how are you doing on this fine Friday evening? I'm doing okay. And uh, about those rule changes, I think I think most of those games were about two and a half hours. Yeah, so Jeff Passan, uh, it's, again, it's about 6 o'clock right now we're recording this. Uh, Jeff Passan tweeted this out about 20 minutes ago or so. Uh, the two games today were the Padres Mariners and the Rangers Royals. Uh, respectively, the games were two hours and 29 minutes, two hours and 33 minutes. Uh, and passing goes on to say, this is spring training and a minuscule sample, but it is hard to understate how drastically the pitch clock is going to change baseball. And I guess we'll start there. But, you know, I watched a couple innings of each of these games. It's an interesting thing to look at. You know, you're, I don't know if this is going to be like this in every stadium or, you know, this is the same setup. But, you know, right behind the left, left-handed batter's box in clear vision of the pitch or, you know, on everyone's screen is a 20-second pitch clock that I promise you is very exact to the point of when the pitcher, the ball touches the pitcher's glove upon the return from the catcher. Almost like scarily perfect. Right. So, so I didn't watch any of these spring training games because I have um, a life. But what what did it like? Did it feel different? Like, were you sitting there like just the, the feel like was it like, oh, man, he's like he's really about to throw it again already. Or did it not feel that different pitch to pitch? It's almost like like you ever you ever like play pickup. This is the best way I can explain it. You ever play pickup basketball and like someone, one of your like, you know, clown show friends is like three two, one, and like even when there's no shot clock, just like as a joke, you know, people do that sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, like, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where someone's done that to you, where it's like, you know, there's not a shot clock, but like the fact that someone's counting almost makes you like think about it. Mm-hmm. Like pitchers, I think like to pitchers, they're going to look at the, the clock and say like, oh shit, I only have five seconds left when in reality, all it is, it takes you half a second to start your motion. And I don't think it's going it, to, it's going to affect the game for the guys that, you know, like to walk around and like to, you know, grab the rosin bag, blah, blah, blah. It's going to affect them for sure. And here, here's some things that I've thought about, you know, just, just watching the, the couple of games that went on today. Uh, I also heard reports that in minor leagues when they implemented this, what, what people were doing to combat this was the fact that the pitchers get the ball or the clock starts when the pitcher receives the ball from the catcher. What pitchers are doing is they're, they'll finish their pitch, if they want to touch the rosin bag, they'll have the catcher hold on to the, the ball for another second or two, take a couple steps toward the rosin bag, and almost like get like a head start on touching the rosin bag before the catcher throws it back. Right. So it's it's pretty interesting to see. I didn't see that exact scenario happen, but immediately as someone that has, you know, a very novice baseball background, that was the first thing that came to my mind. And I'm sure if I'm thinking about it, you know, professional athletes will definitely think about that as well as other things. Right. So let's say I'm pitching to you. You're the catcher. 
you throw the ball back to me. The second it hits my glove, that's when the timer would begin. 20 seconds. Yep. Did you notice? And I know, you know, I'm sure you didn't sit here and have your eyes glued to these spring training games. Yeah, no, not exactly. Did you maybe notice catchers kind of taking their time a little bit? Honestly, no, it was very, uh, it, it was very, it seemed very normal, but again, it's just like, you know, if there was like a, let me put it this way. If there was a minute clock there, right? If the clock was a minute opposed to 20 seconds, the fact that there is a clock now, regardless of what the clock may read, I think naturally, naturally will have an effect on a pitcher's psyche. Yeah, Every no, pitcher, you yeah. know, just, so I think that's, that's at least my takeaway. Look, we can get into the regular season. I mean, I can foresee this getting into the regular season and pitchers almost like, you know, being very adamantly against it. Oh, 100 percent. And it's, I think it's going to be an interesting kind of development to watch uh, kind of throughout the season. But uh, definitely like the new wave of baseball. I mean, you, you and I both listen to, to callers on Sports Talk Radio all week. Uh, I mean, all month, all, all off season almost. I mean, for years even. Talk about oh you know it's it's ruining the America's pastime. This is not the game that you know my grandfather played. Blah blah blah. To be honest, you know I don't think that that that's really not the that's not their motivation. They don't want to make it to seem like your grandfather's baseball. They want it to be your grandson's baseball. I think yep. that's where the conundrum lies. Yep. Have I ever told so, you that my grandfather is Hoyt Wilhelm? No, I I, I would did not never came up in conversation. Although yep. Hoyt Wilhelm has so would be something you definitely should have slipped in. I think Yeah, he was a ringer back in the day. Yeah. Um, I, I think, I think next week will probably be the time for us to really delve into baseball um, and just really preview uh, both of our hometown teams as, you know, as well as the rest of the league. Yeah, no, I, I think definitely we'll, we're, de- I have some predictions I think we should make. Um, I definitely think we should have some like, you know, favorite bets, least favorite bets, people to watch stuff like that. We'll get a whole chart out and stuff like that. Um, Maybe some award predictions. Yeah, we'll we'll get a, we'll get a whole graphic out about that for sure. I mean, yeah. again, today was literally the first day. It's February twenty fourth. Today's the first day baseball was even on on a TV in months now. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to that. But look, yeah, by next week, kind of a hard transition. By next week, the Rangers may have not only a new weapon, but they might be a, a real deal contender if if you, they already weren't. Yeah, we're on the precipice of of Chris Drury just being an absolute legend in uh in Manhattan. So the Rangers are kind of they're on the brink of bringing in Patrick Kane. Um, I think this is going to happen. Um, just between the roster configuration from the Rangers last night before the puck dropped, uh, Patrick Kane uh, comes off the ice. There's no injury, anything like that. Uh, we know he wants to play in New York. It just it makes too se- too much sense for it to not happen. So I guess that leads you into, does this push the Rangers past Boston? And I'm not sure, but listen, this is a declining Patrick Kane, sure. But he has, let me count this up, over his last three, and this might just be him auditioning for New York here. I've seen, you know, it's funny you say that, again, very novice hockey fan, but I've seen like graphics and stuff about, I've you know people quoting his stats in the recent days and saying I've never seen someone want to play for another team so bad and yeah. stuff like that. He's got ten points in his last four games. Yeah, he's going off. Yeah, so like like I just said, listen, this is a he's on the back nine, but this is still a guy with incredible scoring ability. I think he fits on the second line beautifully. I think we'll get more into this when he is a Ranger, but I really do think this is going to happen. Do I think this makes the Rangers? Do I think that this puts them ahead of Boston? 
probably not, but I, I think the NHL, you know, we always talk about baseball being a crap shoot when you get to the playoffs, whatever hockey is really like, that's the sport where it is a, I mean, eight scenes win the cup, like there's no tomorrow. So it, this is going to really put the Rangers in legitimate contender mode if they're not already. Um, and this is going to be a really fun second half for them. So uh, we'll keep an eye on that. But I, I just I would even guarantee it right now he he will be a Ranger in the next coming days. And do you have I don't have their schedule in front of me, but when is their next game uh, that he may suit up in a Rangers uniform? Well, I'm not sure when this is going to get done. Uh, the Rangers lost last night. They're in D.C. tomorrow against Washington. I, I would say if I had to put my money on it, I would say that Patrick Kane debuts for the Rangers Sunday afternoon, five o'clock at home against the Los Angeles Kings. And now what are the odds of your attendance to that game? Uh, Sub-zero. Really? Yeah, I'm good. You're not a big, even if like they get a, you know, a big guy like Kane and now they're like a formidable team, you're not a big, uh, you don't want to go, don't, you wouldn't want to go see that. I remember when the Yankees got Bobby Abreu, I went to Camden and watched him play against the (laughs) Orioles. Was that opening day or something? Oh, no, that was like mid-season. Yeah, it was like mid-season. We were going anyway, and they just happened to acquire him. And I'm a big Bobby Abreu fan. That's a podcast for another day, I believe. A bunch of of my family was at his first home game with the Yankees. I don't know why I remember that. Interesting. yeah, but but, no, uh, but th- this is huge. So, I mean, I can't really remember the last time, I mean, especially the Rangers, but to to midseason have a pickup like Tarasenko followed up by a Patrick Kane, that's, I mean, they mean business. They, they want to win right now, and they very well could. Now, let me ask you this, because, again, I, I, I'm, I can only equate this to other sports in which I follow more closely. You know, I think of the the Mets and the Yankees. I think of the uh, Knicks and the Nets. Do you think the, uh, I guess, emergence or uh, solidification of the Devils being a somewhat decent team puts a little pressure on the Rangers to kind of hold that big brother status? No, I don't think so. I think that the, I, I think the Rangers are more conscious of the Islanders. So like okay. a couple of years ago when the Islanders were really becoming something, and I don't know what happened to that, they do have a playoff position as it stands right now. Uh, you know, I feel like that's really where the banter starts. I forget where I heard this, but before we move on to the Giants or the Jets or wherever we're going to go with their uh, quarterback situations, I forget who I heard say this, but in in a calendar year, we really may have, we, we might sweep locally the playoffs here. Because right now, I mean, the Devils are in, the Rangers are in, and as it stands right now, the Islanders are in. Um, I think we would all bet that the Yankees and Mets are going to get in. Um, it looks like the Knicks and Nets are both going to get in. And then, I mean, you, you look ahead to the NFL, and this will kind of be our little segue here. The Giants just made the playoffs. I think we expect them to again. And, I mean, we've all said the Jets are just a, a quarterback away. So what is that, nine nine teams? And that would have to be the first time ever that and every then, I mean, team here... Yeah, it would it would be uh, I think here's my answer. I think it it's attributed right to our podcast. We start the podcast and every New York team gets successful. Yeah, yeah. I that's, I really that's think so. Cuz uh, they, they didn't want they didn't want to hear us bagging them. So yeah, no, think. yeah. I mean, the most popular podcast in Russia. No one yeah. wants to, no one wants to hear that. Yeah, the Rangers are like, "Oh my god, now we have to go get Patrick Kane." Yeah. Um, but maybe the Jets feel a little fire too. Uh, another hard transition, but 
Aaron Rodgers uh, escapes the darkness retreat, per se. I think it was two days earlier than his quote-unquote uh, reservation, I believe. I think he had the place booked for four days and then left after two. You know, I'm not going to get into a holistic medicine uh, debate here or, you know, conversation. But, you know, maybe two days was all he needed. I, I recall you saying that you'd be able to do a day in, in so. a, a darkness retreat. Still not buying it, but... I think maybe after two days, Rodgers has his answer. And, I, you know, all the recent stuff I hear, especially today, is people think he might even go back to the Packers. I, what, what do you think? Yeah, I, I, if I had to if I had to bet, and, and I think you would agree, like if you really had to put your life on what happens with Aaron Rodgers here, I think the favorite is he goes back to Green Bay and finishes up. That, that would just be very Aaron Rodgers of him. That'd be so. That'd be so funny. But I just don't know where. I don't know where the pressure's coming from. I don't know. Like, is Rogers the one that's like, ah, may, maybe I, I want to finish somewhere else, or is this the Packers being like, listen, like, we like Jordan Love, and if if we sign on for Aaron Rodgers for two more years, he's gone. And Jordan Love already told you he's gone. If that happens, well, now what's the difference of? Is there any difference in amount of money? Obviously, if he's they trade him, he's off their books. Blah blah blah. But is there any difference to what the Packers would owe him if they? bring him back or is he just on a regular contract? Is that, is there any sort of like cap hit that, that is like holding the Packers back even from signing him? If they, if they keep him, they still have to pay him that 60 mil. Okay. And if they, obviously if they trade him, they'll probably, obviously they won't have to trade pay any most likely unless they offer to, but I, I, I can't see retirement. I just like, listen, I know he's a different dude. If he really leaves all that money on the table, that that'll show me something. I would respect that. I'd be like, all right, man. Hey, like you weren't bluffing. But that's a lot of money to walk out on. So you say. So you say Packers. If you had to choose, give me your one. Give me your one, two, and three, and then give me a fourth team that you think is like quietly in the race here for Rodgers. Yeah, I'll say Packers one, Raiders two, Jets three, and Tennessee four. I'm I'm the same. The only thing I flip is I at this point I think it's. I've, I've said this, and I'm just going to die in the hill. I think it just makes so much more sense for him to go to Vegas. I just think – I really just think it does. You mean I think then, they have a – stay in Green Bay or then, then go to stay the in Jets? Green Bay or go to the Jets. Yeah. Uh, I, so I would say Vegas, Vegas, Green Bay, Jets, and then obviously I, I'll, put the, I'll put the Titans four there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think, you know, they as far as the, the case for Vegas, you know, they lose Derek Carr, who we'll talk, talk about in a second. They lose Derek Carr. You know, they they get this new unbelievable stadium. I've seen it in person. It looks like a spaceship. Uh, it does. And it it's you know for the NFL's sake, what better spot to have Aaron Rodgers in than a, your most recently moved team? You know, yeah. to I mean, it's just a perfect. I think it's just a perfect recipe. And like you know, someone like Rodgers who's into like you know, I could just see him being very like, uh, you know, into like you know being on mountains and like, you know, yeah. going out to exploring the wild that, you know, one of those just guys that are, you know, into all that other stuff, I'll say, uh, I could see, you know, Vegas being a perfect spot for him right next, you know, on the West coast, right by, you know, California, obviously not, not going to get into the demographics of it, but I could just see him fitting much better in like an a- atmosphere like Vegas than in the middle of New York, to be quite yeah, honest. But, but I do think that, you remember when LeBron went to LA and we like, everyone was kind of saying like, Oh, well, you know, he's going to finish up in LA. He'll be able to shoot space jam. He'll be able to work on this, work on that, whatever he's going to do at the end of his career. I feel like New York is a 
is a close second to LA. If, if, you know, if you're talking about like transitioning to whatever he's going to do after football and you know, he's Aaron Rodgers, he could finish in green Bay and he'd be fine. I, I get it. Well, don't, well, how much do you think? Like, I don't even know if this is the right way to put it, but do you think if, is there a spot that he goes that you would say like, wow, I really like would look at his, the end of his career differently if he didn't go there. If he didn't go there? Yeah, like, let's say he goes to the Jets, right? And let's say he doesn't win anything. Like, he does, he does like, you know, the same stuff he's been doing with Green Bay. Yeah. You know, getting there but not getting at, to the Super Bowl or, you know, getting to the dance but not dancing, I'll say. Yeah. Like, you know, do you think that there's a spot where, assuming the, like, assuming everything stays the same with the Rodgers and he doesn't win a ring, is there a spot where you would say, wow, that was a really bad choice? Vegas. Yeah. You would say right now that the Jets are a better team than the Raiders, right? Quarterback removed. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Easily. Right. So so that's kind of and I see what you mean. I just I feel like Aaron Rodgers is is more of a Vegas guy than a New York guy. So I, I agree with you there. But I would think that that would be the team where I'd be like, all right. I mean, did you want to win another ring or did you kind of just want to finish up? Uh, that's. I think I would say the same. Honestly, I think if I, if he's going to Vegas, my expectations are through the roof for them. I think they're instantly. A contender if he goes to Vegas again they I think they have a good team around him uh, even with I think Josh Jacobs being a free agent but you get Rodgers and Devontae Adams Hunter Renfro Darren Waller that's an automatic elite offense right there automatic we, we, we might have just disagreed thinking we agreed what do you mean I, I just right now said that you would agree that the Jets are a better team than the Raiders quarterback removed Right? Oh, I'm no, I'm sorry. I miss I misheard that then. I, I think the Raider it oh, sorry, let me rephrase your question. If you add Rodgers to the Jets or Rodgers to the Raiders, I think the Raiders are better than the Jets. I don't think I do. I think See, I like- do I do because and this might be weak uh you know, the weak way to look at it, but I think Rodgers and Devontae Adams are are arguably the the best quarterback wide receiver pair, arguably, you know, top 5 in NFL history. Yeah, but then we're talking about going up against Mahomes and going up against Herbert. And, uh, look, uh, I, I get it, I hear it, but like, t- tell me this. All right, fine. If you wanna, you wanna fight, you wanna talk about fighting fire with fire. Would you rather fight fire with fire with an offense of, let's just say they bring back Josh Jacobs for argument's sake, Josh Jacobs, Darren Waller, Hunter Renfro, Devontae Adams, or? A Bryce, uh, Bryce Hall that's coming back, or Bryce Hall that's coming back from an, a massive injury. Garrett Wilson had an unbelievable rookie year, and CJ Ozoma with with uh, Aaron Rodgers and Elijah Moore. I'll even give you. You know what yeah. I mean? That's that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, but the other side of the ball matters. I I understand, but in a, in a league where the it's offense is so so key, I think I'm going to take the, the, the team with the better offense most of the time. Right. And I think that Rodgers makes the, the Vegas offense way better than the, than he would make the Jets offense. That's my only stance. So are we on the same page here where, let's say we find out the plan for Rodgers tomorrow, whether it's Green Bay, whether it's the Raiders, it's not the Jets. Are we both in just wrap your arms around Derek Carr and bring him here mode? Or are you kind of, I feel like you may have, I feel like you were higher on Garoppolo. I, I might be mistaken. Well, so, so I was right, but I think that the more I kind of like just think about Derek Carr and like I, you know, I've I I'd be lying if I said I haven't like gone back and like watched his like season highlights or whatever. And you know, I I think it's like to me I, the the 
I don't think the difference between Carr and Garoppolo is is that much, really. So if the Jets can get a commitment from Carr, and to me, quite honestly, you can just—I yeah, don't know how you feel about this—but I don't see think there's anything wrong with the Jets approaching Derek Carr and saying, "Look, we are waiting for arguably the greatest quarterback talent-wise of all time to decide whether he wants to play for us. If you want to go, you know, find somewhere else to play and go talk to other people, please, by all means, do." But you must understand what we're kind of doing here, right? Like, I don't think that if Derek Carr's going to sit there and say, like, oh, well, I'm not your number one option, get over yourself, I think. No, I think the Jets did tell him that. I think that's I, I hope so. Around. But it's funny that the Jets were like, hey, if you come here uh, and you win, we think you're going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. By the yeah, way, no, we, that, we, that's we do think you could win here. But also, let's wait on Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, like, it's it's almost like, I guess the whole conundrum can be can be summed up to the fact of, you know, all right, yeah, if you come here, we think you'll be a first battle Hall of Famer, but we're going to wait on someone who is, regardless of what he does here, a first battle Hall of Famer. Yeah. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to give some pluses and some negatives on Derek Carr. Go ahead. Um, the plus would be the last time that he had a defense this good, as in top five, uh, he won 12 games. The negatives for me, and this, I'll give you the one I value less first. He's not good in cold weather. Now, there's not a huge sample size, so I don't value that stat particularly, you know, but I mean, it is cold here. <laughs> uh, secondly, he is, he has a dreadful record against playoff teams. Dreadful. And honestly, in the AFC, that's probably what he's going to be facing most of the time. Yes. But... But again, like I'm, I'm not one to you know pick a gripe with any sort of stat. You know me, I love, I love me some stats. But I, you know, I think a lot of that can be contributed to. He hasn't had the best, you know, surroundings around no, him, the coaching like staff six around different him. Different coaches. Yeah, and not saying Sal is you know a, a heaven sent, but I think I think a lot of people would say that the Jets' offense is or the Jets' coaching staff is 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 on the the green side more than the red side. Yeah, stable at Jace. I mean, they did just stable fire their good, coordinator, but that's a, honestly that's a good way to put it. It's stable for now. Yeah, for now it's stable. Um, but look, now here's another question where I'll transition to, I guess, our, our next and last topic before we get to our basketball segment. But uh, you know, let's say the Giants can't get a deal done with Daniel Jones, which I think you and I can agree. It looks like they they should get a deal done relatively soon. You know, they're they're kind of stepping over pennies or stepping over dollars to save pennies at this point. I think that Jones said he wanted like in the forties and the giants were in the high thirties. Yeah. Uh, and the franchise tag is what 32 and a half or something like that for the quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I think that that deal will get done. However, I think if, if the, if the giants end up not signing Daniel Jones and maybe the Rogers already makes the decision to go to Vegas, I don't know how much I want Derek Carr more than I I would want a Daniel Jones on the Jets. I, you know, I think I saw a lot of the Daniel Jones this year. Yeah, I, I guess. So. And the age um, thing, I don't know. Yeah, well, the reports that we've heard around Daniel Jones is we heard a little bit earlier in the week that he's asking for around 45 and the Giants are more in the high 30s. And then a couple of days later, we hear another report that says, oh, Daniel Jones isn't 45, it's more 42-ish. So they're right there. Now, I've always held the position that it makes the most sense to sign your quarterback and then, and I hate to say it, uh, slap the tag on Saquon Barkley. And then I was thinking about it earlier, 
and I, I think I changed my mind because the way that I see it is like this. There's no harm in making Daniel Jones do it one more year. Cause really we've seen flashes and we've really, this is the first season that we were like, okay, like this kid can play. Saquon Barkley already told you that he's not going to reset the market like Christian McCaffrey, right? So you can, you can sign him for a relatively friendly deal and then, listen, if you tag Jones and he repeats or he does even better than he did last season, I don't think that's a bad problem to have. Then then you'd feel fine shelling out the 45 or whatever it's going to be a year. I think that I, I just earlier today, I just completely switched my frame of mind here. Just why don't you, instead of making Daniel Jones the priority right now, why don't you see what you can sign Saquon Barkley for? Because, like, you're going to need him, right? Like, at least for this season, you're going to need him. Why not try to sign him first and say, "Listen, Daniel, do, give me one more season of this, and then we'll we'll have no problem. We'll have no problem paying you." I think that would be a good problem to have. You're right, but but why would Daniel Jones sign for that? Well, you, you slap a tag on him. He has no. He, what is he going to do? I mean, he could hold out. Oh come on, Daniel Jones holding out a season. Get, oh, I I could. But I, I dare him. Uh, sure. I'm. I mean, sure. But then. Do you want that situation to be? I, I see. To me, I'm a believer in avoiding the franchise tag at all costs. Well, it's, it's so beneficial sometimes, though. I, I I understand, but I think it gets people into people meaning teams. When I say people, into such like murky waters with their players, where it's like, yeah, I'll pay you this, but I don't want to pay you that, and it's almost like, oh well, why don't you? It's like almost like baseball arbitration. Like you don't want to go to an ar- uh, uh, arbitration hearing with a top player. Like the Yankees didn't want to go to arbitration with Glaber Torres. They they kind of just def- had to because they were too far apart. And I think in football, it's one thing to do that with a, with a Saquon Barkley or a guy that, you know, a position that's easily replaceable. I think Daniel Jones has the leverage here in that situation where it's almost like maybe he doesn't hold out. You're probably right. I you know, I can't see Daniel Jones really holding out, but it's almost like him wagging the finger in the Giants face of like you told me to prove myself this year. I did. We had a great year. I had a, I had a good year, relatively. And now you're still not going to pay me? Like, what more do I have to do? What do you want me to do? Win a Super Bowl for you to pay me? You know, that's what I would say if I'm Daniel Jones. I would say just do it one more time. Well, okay, so I pose to you what I think that I would do. And obviously it comes down to the numbers, right? Like, what can I actually sign Saquon for? But assuming that I could bring Barkley back on a relatively team-friendly deal, I think that i tag Daniel Jones what are you doing here? Are you like, let's just hypothetically say he's set at 44, 45. That's what he wants. You just pay him that. And then I don't know, maybe you let Barkley walk or are you going to tag Barkley? I know you just said you want to avoid the tag at all costs. What would you do if you're the giants? And I know it's going to come down to the numbers, but just generally. Here's a, I have a couple answers and a couple ways to look at this. My perfect world answer is I, I sit them both down and I say, look, We want both of you, right? And you guys, this is not a mutually exclusive thing. If we give Daniel, if we give you $50 million a year, we can't give him $25 million a year, point blank, right? So what I say to them is I say, look, if you guys want to, you know, have continued success, you guys want to be the cornerstones of this organization, and we want you to, we need you guys both to come down a little bit, and we will sign you to longer deals, and we'll commit to you guys, but we want to commit to both of you, not have to pick one or the other. And to me, if if either of them have a problem with that, you give the money to the person that's, that says okay. For instance, you know, it, I, the fa- my favorite thing to always look at when I get into contract talks is I don't think Tom Brady was ever the highest paid quarterback in the league. Ever. No. 
And so to me, that speaks volumes of that's a winner's mentality in itself. You know, guys can say all they want about all I want, want to do is win. Trade me here. All I want to do is win. Trade me there. Play me here. Give me this many snaps. All I want to do is win. I think where you really show where you want to win and you really want to commit to an organization is when you're taking pay cuts to play with guys as good as Saquon Barkley or guys with as much promise as Daniel Jones. So my, my I guess my short form answer is I think that I offer them you know lesser money than what they ask for and let them know well, this is going to benefit you in the long run because we're going to commit to both of you or we're hopefully going to be able to commit to both of you and hopefully we can all win together. Well, but you're putting yourself in a dangerous spot here because you're you're putting yourself at risk of losing your quarterback. So so let's say that you you have that conversation. And like I said earlier, Daniel Jones just says, listen, that sounds great. I, I want the 45. That That's what I want or I'll walk. At that point, you're still not going to tag him? Well, no. So if, if it gets to the point where it's like both guys say, cool, awesome, but unfortunately this isn't a perfect world and I want my money, I give the money to Daniel Jones solely off the fact that quarterback is just so much more valuable a position. Right. And I think that there's a very good argument, and I think there's a lot more that goes into it with Barkley than just the talent on the field, which to me is not in question. I think this year, he obviously the beginning of the year, he was much, much more, you know, looked like the Saquon Barkley of old in the beginning of the year versus the second half or back half of the year. But a lot of that, I think, was a lot of like conservation of like, all right, I already showed that I can I can do what I've done in the past and can be a good running back in this league. I don't need to really, you know, push myself to get 40 carries a game like some of these other guys because I want to get I want to sign my contract and then I'll start working. I want to get my money. You know, like he was in a weird spot where he wants to get he wanted to get his money all year. But I will say this. I think that, that there's a very good argument to be had that you can easily replace Saquon Barkley with one, if not two guys for the same price and very similar production to what Barkley can give you. However, again, this is where the conundrum lies. You know, how many, how many Saquon Barkley's jerseys do you see walking around MetLife stadium? Yeah. I mean, he's, he is the, the, the de facto superstar and face of the franchise. Yes, he is. Yeah. So it, that's a whole nother layer that goes into it where it's like, you know, do you really want to do that to a guy like Saquon? You know, a guy when I say a guy like Saquon, this is not a, a guy this is not an Odell situation. Saquon Barkley is an A one teammate, A one guy on your roster. You know, even when he's hurt, he's on the sidelines. You never hear a peep about him off the field. He's the guy you want people to be wearing jerseys for. And the Giants have that set up already. I think it would be a really, really tough thing and really demoralizing thing for Barkley to move on or the Giants to move on from Barkley, I should say. Yeah, but Barkley's making it easy, though. Like I said, like he's not asking for that McCaffrey money or even that Ezekiel Elliott money. Look what Ezekiel Elliott got paid, and he fell off a cliff. He's not what he once was. Now, they fell into Tony Pollard, and unfortunately, probably because of the money that uh, Zeke makes, he steals carries. Yeah. So, but, but Saquon's making it easy on you. He's not looking to reset the market. So, like, it's almost like I think that if Saquon's going to make it easy on me, to, to just bring him home. I, I just think I have no problem slapping the tag on Daniel Jones and saying, go out there and do it again. What do you, I mean, you know, yeah, I'm not giving I, you I just think I, I, it's a, it's a definite, definite murky situation. I think, you know, we're, I think there's a very real situation or scenario where one side ends up very happy and the other side ends up, or maybe this is a situation where the giant fans is split. You know, like we said, I, I'm a, again, huge Kanye West fan of his music. And, you know, people always say that Yeezus was like the splitting of Kanye West fans where it's like 
There were fans that only cared about Kanye West because of the music he made prior. And then there was people that only cared about Kanye West off of music and outside of music that were fully bought into his message. For the Giants, it's almost like I feel like there's going to be a contingent of Giant fans that will say, I want Saquon Barkley on my team regardless of what you have to pay him. And then there's also going to be another half that says, I want Daniel Jones to be my quarterback regardless of what you have to pay him or who, or regardless of who you have to cut in order to make it work. So I think it's going to be an interesting time for Giant fans. Best situation or best case scenario, I think what I laid out is where, you know, they both kind of come down from their original numbers and kind of work out a little bit of a, you know, a, not a joint contract, but a contract with, you know, very, very uh, liable terms for each other. You know, it's like each of them get a Super Bowl bonus, obviously. Each of them get a playoff bonus, blah, 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 you know, stuff like that. Uh, I, I could see... I could see the Giants realistically signing Daniel Jones to maybe a lesser number with more and more realistic incentives, uh, such as, you know, every playoff win is X amount of dollars. Every, you know, a throw for 4,000 yards, you get X amount of dollars. You know, very incentive-based stuff where it's like, yeah, we'll commit to you for a long time, maybe not for as much money as you you asked for, but if you play well enough, you can get that money you asked for. And I think that that could be the scenario where the Giants find themselves with Daniel Jones. Yeah, I, but, um, I, by the way, I'm on the side that Jesus was a great album. I, I hate I hate to say anything nice about the piece of trash, but <laughs> good album. Um, Jesus was unbelie- unbelievable album, yeah. in my it's opinion. Fun, it's funny that like a couple weeks ago, we were like, oh man, sports are dying down. There's nothing to talk about. And now like out of nowhere, NBA coming down the wire, just quarterback drama left and right. Both of the New York teams here, uh, baseball starting up. Yeah, no, it's like you said, I mean, we can we can find ourselves a couple months from now with Knicks and Nets playoff games, Rangers Devils playoff games, uh, baseball heating up. Aaron Rodgers could be the quarterback of the Jets. Daniel yeah. Jones could sign the biggest contract in Giant history. We have some news along, down the pipeline for sure. Um, and as far as NBA, no one better to talk about it with than our friend Brandon. Uh, we have a whole NBA segment recorded, ready to roll, and we're going to drop that right now. We definitely have a second half of basketball to get to. Uh, Nick fans here, but obviously the Nets have been uh, probably the biggest story of the entire first half of the NBA. Um, and now I think we have some some new thoughts for sure on the Nets, but let's stick with the home team first. The Knicks. Uh, acquire Josh Hart at the deadline. Get rid of Cam Reddish. Evan Fournier still here. Seems like Derrick Rose is the de facto uh, the veteran guy on the squad to lead the young guys. Uh, Tom Thibodeau and him seem to be buddy buddy, so I guess that's whatever it is. I don't know if Derrick Rose is going to be much of a on court uh, piece for the Knicks at all ever again, but um, he's a good guy to have on the team, I guess. Brandon, I'll ask you because I I know we spoke about this trade when it happened, but how good of a move is this Josh Hart trade to the Knicks in your opinion? I think it just gives Tibbs another guy that. He loves their style of play. Josh Hart is a grit and grind 6'5 guy who can guard all five positions, maybe not centers, but he'll hold his own. He boxes out. He offensive, he offensive rebounds, he defensive rebounds. Like defensive rebounding is so important. Like finishing off defensive possessions, something that the Knicks tend to struggle with in the fourth quarter of games. And that's why teams get second and third chance opportunities against them. 
and you see teams make comebacks in the fourth quarter. Josh Hart is a guy that's going to end defensive possessions. He's going to try to guard the other team's best player if possible at times, if Grimes maybe isn't on the court. Um, and I think it just gives Tibbs another guy that he can immediately trust in big moment situations. Josh Hart has been uh, is a veteran in the league. He can shoot the three ball. Um, and he likes to get to the rim. He's a complete player, obviously just a role guy, but he's, I would call him, uh, I don't want to say an elite role player, but he is a very, very, very good role player. And a guy that something I say is always just be an MVP in your role. He is a guy that in Tibbs's style of how you want to play basketball, he can be an MVP in this role. Yeah. And in just a, obviously a very small sample size, three games played with the Knicks, 17 points on, obviously he's not going to keep this up, but 60% shooting from three. I think if you could watch the Knicks once this year, offensively or defensively, not many questions, but offensively, especially with the R.J. Barrett struggles of, of the early half of the season and I guess the entire first half of the season, three-point shooting, uh, you I've, one, you can't get enough of, but if you're struggling, you definitely need a guy to uh, to kind of combat that. So, like you said, very good at rebounding, very good at playing defense. I think he's a great energy guy. I was at the game when it was Knicks-Nets, and he seemed to love playing at the Garden. He, I could definitely see him being one of those guys that fans like embrace. A Landry Fields kind of guy. The guys, people just – obviously, I think Josh Hart might be a little better than Landry Fields is maybe. That could be up for debate. But just a guy that is just like a very – a good piece on the team, I think. Um, and kind of just like what I hinted at, what we might have thought was a good piece at once. Matt, I know you had some mixed thoughts on this uh, kind of before the deadline, leading up to the deadline. But as a Nick fan, where are you at with R.J. Barrett right now? Because quite frankly, I'm a little over it. Uh, at this well, point, this, it's like it, Kurtz. Right. I'm sorry to to cut you off, but Kurtz and I were talking about you know one of our friends, and you're not one of our friends, but someone we know in just high school basketball before the show, and saying how yeah he started as a freshman and just didn't get better at, all the way up to his senior year. Is that kind of what we're seeing out of RJ Barrett? It's like he came into the league, got a, a little better, and now it's like he hasn't shown much. Drop the name right now, or you're gutless. I quite no, frankly kidding. don't even know the I'm, name. I'm, it's going to be an unnameless guy. Joe um, Schmo. This is actually I, I wanted to ask Brandon about this because I do remember the last time we had Brandon here. He was he was right there with the Knicks. He was just all hands on board. I wouldn't consider making this RJ deal. And like you and I talked on the last show, if RJ starts losing minutes to say a Josh Hart, I, I mean you have to change your mind about that at this point. I mean, he's kind of already losing those crunch time minutes to Quinn Grimes. So right. I was I'm already kind of I'm not saying I'm backpedaling from my take because my take also included the fact that if you got Donovan Mitchell, I don't think it raises your ceiling tremendously to the point where you're in the conference finals. Like, like Bill Simmons is a guy who always says, if you're, if the trade you're making doesn't definitely like definitely raise your ceiling like to a different level and you're trading like a young guy for a quote unquote star superstar kind of guy, then why are you making the trade? So Part, I agree with you that part of my take was that RJ can still be something. And I'm kind of wavering from that a little bit because he's struggling mightily from three this season, struggling in general. Doesn't seem like he really wants to put in the crazy effort that's needed to play defense um, at this level, at a competitive high level. And I mean, Tibbs likes his guys and RJ Barrett doesn't really fit the way Tibbs really likes to play. Like he likes Grimes more. Grimes shoots the three well. Um, he likes Josh Hart. I can immediately tell. And also Josh Hart, when you trade for a guy like Josh Hart, he's not sitting behind people that don't do what he does. So 
Josh Hart's going to be playing over RJ Barrett when it, when it matters in the game. And Josh Hart's going to be amazing playing with his college teammate, Jalen Brunson, which is another reason why I think they went and got him because Thibodeau is also a big, um, like fill in like a puzzle piece, chemistry, that kind of thing. Like playing as a unit, those guys have been playing play together for years. Um, but yeah, I would be a little more wanting to trade RJ Barrett for Donovan Mitchell now than I was a month ago when we did the last podcast, but I'd still probably hold on to him. So here's my, here's my stance. This, this second half of the season will definitely determine my feelings on RJ Barrett. And I'll say this right now, they're as about as much up in the air as they've ever been, to be honest. Cause I, I was, I was on the same side as you. I said, Hey, look, I can foresee RJ Barrett becoming somewhat even, uh, you know, close to Donovan Mitchell's elk of player. And in, in like, you know, a couple years down the line, me, you know, before this season, but this season he's, I'm a big believer in taking a step in the exact same direction is, is a step backwards to me. Correct. I, you know, I think you should always be progressing, especially at the young age of RJ Barrett. However, therein lies my reason why right now I think I, I'd stick to more so keeping him because he's so young. Like he's not, he's not like he's like an old, he's not a four year college guy. He, he's still young. And I think he still has a lot of time to develop and, Let's be real. He's a 20-point scorer in the NBA, like right now, and we're complaining about him. To me, he comes off as a guy that will definitely thrive in a different system. Uh, I think that R.J. Barrett is definitely a talented player and definitely has a place in this league. But I think if the Knicks are going to double down on, or I guess triple down on Thibs and double down on on Brunson and triple down on Randall, I don't know if R.J. Barrett necessarily fits better than what I think they could get for him. However... I get, you know, if the Knicks find themselves in a playoff spot, find themselves in some tough games down the stretch, and maybe maybe RJ Barrett need, like needs that. Maybe he's one of those guys that that needs to be playing in like high leverage games. And and uh, you know, we've seen big moments from RJ Barrett in the past. I, I recall very right off the top of my head these games against the Celtics. He seems to always play amazing. He hits a game winner over Jason Tatum last year and Jalen Brown. I believe it was an amazing shot. I have the newspaper still. Uh, but maybe R.J. Barrett's one of those guys. I just think that I, maybe it, maybe trading him could be in the best interest, but uh, I'm leaving my opinions up to the, sec- to the rest of the se- second half of the season, to be quite honest. Um, well, are uh, you getting another offer like that, though? And, and you know, obviously no. it wasn't a one-for-one. One, but are you going to get another? And we could debate all day what Donovan Mitchell actually is. You're not. It, it kind of came and went. So you're, you're almost, I don't want to say stuck with R.J., but mm, what could I mean, you get from him Maybe not point? for... Not for Donovan Mitchell, but you. Can, I think like again, if you're going to commit to this Julius Randle, uh, Jalen Brunson, you know tandem of two ball handlers, uh, maybe you, all you get need is pieces around them for RJ Barrett, and maybe or maybe you can just recoup some draft capital back for him. I don't know. Build, find another piece, retool. I, mean, I, I just don't know if, how well he fits into this this offense if he's not going to be like the, a great shooter like he was advertised. You know, I mean, Brandon, how do you? How would you like grade RJ shooting? Like adjust his shooting, not layup like his how well he drives, but three point shooting, mid range. Like, is would you consider him a good shooter, an average shooter? To me, he's just average. Um, I'm not like like I'm getting a hand up. Okay. I'm not gonna say that I'm not helping off of him a little bit occasionally. But like I don't know, he's he's a guy that can knock down shots. I know he's shooting at like a 32 percent clip this year, but I mean, he shot it a lot better the last two years, no? 
he, the previous two years, yeah, he he was like an area like that was an area where I remember in the very beginning of his his career he wasn't very good at shooting threes. He had like some crazy like two week hot stretch. I remember his rookie year yeah. that that everyone was like, oh my god, like if this guy can actually like keep this up, he's gonna be an absolute stud. I feel like a lot of Nick fans kind of hung on to that and kind of saw like, oh shit, this guy could be good if he really can play like this every night. But again, I, I, to be honest, like if you think about it, like. He kind of got a bad shake too, like or he, I'm. It sounds like I'm writing his like eulogy right now, but like he had a bad shake. Why does he have a bad because, shake? Because because I think that he needs to. He was drafted and and told like, all right, we have you're gonna have Julius Randle, blah blah blah. But like, you know, to get Jalen Brunson here too. Now he's third fiddle. Where he then he he became second fiddle to Julius Randle. Now he's bumped into third fiddle, and you know it's like he was just trying to become that second fiddle, and now he's got to learn how to become the third fiddle. It's just like. I don't know. It's like very uh, not. I'm not saying it's to this extent, but it's it's very like Russell Westbrook Lakers to me. Yeah, but I don't even I think just, at his best. I don't think he's a two on a championship team. No, I don't. But I think at a point, especially like his second year after his first year, there were real conversations about you know whether or not RJ could be that guy. Could be a two, and and then if Julius Randle was a one or could be a one, or you know right. could Donovan Mitchell or blah blah blah, you know just backtracking, but. Uh, I'm I'm at the point where I'm not even sure if I don't know if RJ Barrett could be a three on a good team. It's just it's so hard to like tell right now because like you said, he was trying to become the second fiddle, and then as soon as he kind of got a little comfortable in that role, they bring in Brunson, make him the third guy. And I mean, listen, all the teams we've ever seen that have big threes, the third guy always has to take sacrifices, always. But I I just feel like RJ. And like going back more to Thibodeau, Thibodeau is a guy that if you go out there and earn your minutes, you play. Like if you go out there and play good basketball, you play for him. He doesn't care about your name, your reputation, where you got drafted, nothing about that. So I just feel like every player on the Knicks, like the the guards, like the guards, like Grimes, RJ, now Josh Hart, like all got the opportunity to play in games to earn your spot in the crunch time five and the fourth quarter minutes. And RJ is just the guy that when he gets the ball, I feel like he's always just trying to do something. Sometimes it ends up in a bad shot. Sometimes it ends up in a bad pass. And I think a lot of that is contributed to the fact that Randall and Brunson dominate the ball so much. So when he gets the ball, he feels like he has to try to do something. But I think you can get better and like you can get better and your stats, like your counting stats get worse. I, you know I'm, a, like, I'm a big believer in that. Yes, I agree. Like You're saying you got a bad shake and I agree with some of that, but like at the end of the day, one, the coach needs to find a way to make everyone the best part of themselves on a team that they can. So I'm going to, I'll blame Thibodeau a little bit for this as well. But number two, RJ doesn't necessarily play good basketball all the time. And on a team that Thibodeau coaches and a team that has two guys that are better than you, you have to be a guy that plays good basketball. And I don't necessarily know that he's always locked into just playing good basketball, which is weird because he just got his four, four year extension. So like you should be all about winning and playing good basketball. Yeah, well, and so now you mentioned Thibodeau, right? Like I get what you're saying. And I don't know. I don't know necessarily if I agree with all of it because I think the Knicks are at a weird point where they're such in this middle ground where like, like they win four or five, and then it's like, all right, well, whatever we did in those four or five, we got to stick to. And if RJ Barrett's not in those, you know, wasn't playing well in those four or five games that they win, he's not going to play in in that sixth game. Like he's not going to play as much. That's kind of just how the Knicks are. 
So, but like, yeah. but on, so that's fine. And I can understand why you're blaming the, the progression of RJ Barrett on that. But at a point it's like, if you're Thibs, like when do you draw the line of RJ Barrett's progression versus, okay, we actually have a decent team here. Oh no, no, listen, I agree. If he's not playing good enough basketball to be on the court, then you can't, you like, you don't play guys that don't deserve to be playing. But if RJ Barrett was playing good basketball, he would have earned his minutes. But so, but th- that's what I'm kind of. That's where I'm at with RJ Barrett. It's like, it's like, all right. So like, this is now what his third or fourth year? Is this his fourth year? Fourth year, fourth year uh, in the league. Yeah, fourth year. Him and Zion and Ja. Fourth year in the league, and you're you're on the bubble of that question. You know what I mean? Like, think well, about I agree. think about all yeah. those other. I mean, obviously Ja and Zion. I mean, I could we can go on a whole debate about Zion, but. A guy, any any one of these guys in that draft that are deemed like studs from that draft, like RJ Barrett was supposed to be, they're on the floor in the fourth quarter and most likely have the ball in their hands. Most likely, correct. Like, and correct. it's so it's kind of disappointing to not see our, you know, the Knicks yeah. have that guy in RJ. And I, but the thing is, like, it, as a, in a much deeper Knicks conversation, the it, it's not. I don't think that's a bad pick by the Knicks. That's like what I'm, what I I keep hearing is like. Hey. And I'm not saying that people have said it, but what's going to, I could, the, the, the rhetoric behind it, if they move on from RJ Barrett or if they moved on from RJ Barrett is, would have been that, wow, how do they miss, how do they not like, you know, who, who was drafted after RJ Barrett? Uh, who's the one that everyone always brings up? Um, I, I'm blanking right now, but whoever it was, I, I feel like Nick fans always say it was a bad pick, bad pick. Obviously, Kevin Knox, Nilakina, bad pick. Was Porzingis a bad pick? I don't think so. Was R.J. Barrett a bad pick? No. Are the Knicks a, a poorly run organization sometimes? Yes. <laughs> like, I, I think it's like people some like bring up these, these you know, moves by the Knicks and say that, oh, they're so bad at evaluating talent. They're so bad at this. When in reality, they're, they might, might be worse at internally maneuvering an organization than, like, uh, looking at talent. I don't know. Much deeper Knicks conversation. But the um, only guy. The only guy in this draft, I just pulled it up real quick. The only guy in this draft that went anywhere near the third pick that is even having even close to as good of a career as RJ Barrett is Darius Garland. He's the only one. Okay, well, I think if you pulled names real quick, DeAndre Hunter, Darius Garland, Jared Culver out of the league, Kobe White, eighth man, Jackson Hayes. I don't know where the hell he's doing. Rui Hashimura just got traded from the team who drafted. Cam Rash has been drafted traded twice. Cam Johnson, pretty solid. P.J. Washington, solid. Tyler Hero, very good. But, like, it was not a bad pick in any way. It, it wasn't, but I think if the, the thing is, as long as there's one, you're going to hear people say that, how do you miss on this guy? Like, Dar- yeah. like Darius Garland, you, if you pulled 10 Knicks fans, nine of them say they'd rather have Darius Garland than R.J. Barrett. Nine of them. Well, I, I mean, most people right, right, right now would want Darius Garland, but that doesn't mean four years ago you wanted Darius Garland. I know, but it's it's always like it's always like the Monday morning quarterback with the Knicks. I feel like it's always going to be the wrong decision. No, but 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 it's warranted. It's like fair at this point. I mean, if you go down year by year and look at the people that they've missed on, they're like the Raiders. Uh, sure, I, I look. I I understand it, but they didn't miss here. They didn't. Miss. But that's my that's no, my no, that's, that's what, what I'm saying. saying. But that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the what, when people say that they had a bad draft, it's not like they miss. They're not like R.J. Barrett is not a bad pick. Porzingis was not a bad pick. But people Agreed. are going to look at where the Knicks are now and say that they shouldn't have made that pick. Does that make sense? Yes. No, 100%. Okay. But that's you, all, I'm, you that's all listed, I'm really saying. You just listed a couple of the worst picks ever in very recent history of the Knicks. So, I mean, I get it. I yeah, get but, the outrage. Yeah, look, very. I think it's warranted for sure. Um, But – 
look, I think also if you pulled a bunch of Nick fans, I think they would be happy to be Nick fans versus net fans right now. Uh, and Brandon, I know you want to come on and give them praise, but I think anytime you start the season with, you know, two of the top five players, arguably in the league, and you end or you're going to end the season with not even arguably a top 25 player in the league. Uh, you can't be happy regardless. Look, if the Nets go out and win a championship, it's the greatest story in sports history. But uh, I don't think don't think that's happening. You seem to have higher praise for them. I like the Nets. I think I like what they've done. But let me hear your side of it first. No, I'm I just think I just think that uh, yes, the Nets lost Kevin Durant and lost Kyrie Irving, and obviously that's not what you're trying to do as a franchise. But the Nets have set themselves up for the next superstar that wants to be out because anyone around the league looks at that team right now. Number one, they have draft capital. Now number two, they have every three and D wing. That's good in the NBA is on their team. Yep. Um, And number three, they clearly have a good coach. They just, they just extended Jacques Vaughn, who is clearly getting to this team, which shows that a, the, the team likes him, B the front office likes him. And he honestly is getting to these guys and making them play hard was doing it before uh, all the trades before KD got hurt, they they had won. I think right when I got on the podcast last time, the Nets were at the four, were in the middle of their thirteen or fourteen game winning streak. Yep. Um, it's unfortunate because I feel like if Kevin Durant hadn't gotten hurt, they probably not sure they make these trades because they may have been at the top of the East. But um, with the new Nets, the new Nets have a guy that I really love, and that's Michael Bridges. I've been on Michael Bridges probably since college. Um, I'm just listen when you're six eight. And you can handle the ball and you can score like that. Those are just guys that don't come around every day. Um, Michael Bridges being the centerpiece of this deal was not what you would have gotten had you traded Kevin Durant to the Suns before the season started. He wouldn't have been the main piece. I think it would have had to been eight and end Bridges before the start of the season. Yes. Um, Devin Booker. Devin Booker gets hurt this season. And Michael Bridges is forced into a number one scoring role because Aiton is just not that, and Chris Paul doesn't want to be that. He's a pat, he's a pass first guy, been for his whole career. Um, Michael Bridges goes out there and is scoring twenty a night consistently for the Suns. I know they were losing games, but he was showing that he could be an efficient number one scorer for a team, and that is really why I think he was able to be the main piece of a Kevin Durant trade. Um, Michael Bridges is only twenty. Uh, 23 or 24 years old. Um, he's on a very cheap contract right now, four, four years, 90 million. And he's a guy that I think in three years we could be talking about as like a guy who like late bloomed kind of like a Kawhi Leonard, like a guy who it took him a little longer to get to that 25 points per game status. But we're already kind of seeing it on the nets. He had a 45 point game in a win against the heat where he was, I think 17 of 24 from the field was putting a full display of moves on, the scoring on Jimmy Butler very consistently, who probably has lost a step on defense, but is still a dog on that side of the floor. Um, I love Cam Johnson. I like Spencer Dinwiddie. I like Dorian Finney-Smith. They have Seth Curry, Joe Harris. They just got a lot of guys that Nick Claxton. things. Nick Claxton, who's on, the, who's on his way to a potential all-defensive team this year. Maybe he's in the running for uh, defense player of the year. Um they have like I love like I watched the first I watched the whole first game they played after the trades. That's the Sixers at home. They start Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith, Michael Bridges, and Nick Claxton. That is a fire lineup. That fire! Is they can guard defense. everyone. They can switch. They were switching everything except for Claxton. On they were keeping Claxton on Embiid. 
they were switching they, and they even switched Claxton onto Harden a little bit and it was it's fine because Claxton can guard one through five um and they could score the ball. They were playing very well. A lot of pass-first guys that are just looking to make get a good shot. Michael Bridges is going to be the number one guy for this team. Dinwiddie's going to be the exact same player he was the last time he was on the Nets. The flamethrower that if he's not hitting shots, he could be a distributor. If he is hitting shots, he can be the go-to scorer on any given night for them. Um, I like this team, and it's crazy because we're talking about the Nets, and we have I haven't even mentioned Ben Simmons. Yeah. Um, Jacques Vaughn. Some very interesting comments for Ben about Ben Simmons this past week about how basically in ev- they tried to play him with every type of lineup and there's a problem. Either he's <laughs> the big, if he's the big in the lineup, can you rebound well enough? If he's playing with Claxton, is there enough space? If he's playing as the point guard, um, do you like you need to put the ball in his hands and it has to be in transition because he's not that good at playing point guard in the half court because of the way teams play him now. Um, I think the Nets should try to get – I mean, it's too late now this season, but um, I wouldn't really play Ben Simmons that much. Don't get him injured and try to get off him for whatever you can in the offseason. Um, I think that's the best move for them going forward. And the last thing I'm going to say about the Nets before I let you talk is they are up next for with whatever star that is – like a real star, like a, a wing that a wing kind of guy that can score 30 a night for them can just – you trade a couple of these three and D with some of these picks. You keep Michael Bridges and Cam Johnson, and that immediately becomes a team that would immediately contend in the East immediately. Well, so it's not going to happen this year, obviously. This, it's not going to happen this year, obviously. Two years, two years into the future, where you can be looking at the Nets as a team that is immediately in a spot for making a big move. So let me ask you this, and McFeely, I want to hear your. I, I'm going to ask you first because. I know you have strong opinions about the whole Kevin Durant, Kyrie situation. You say, I, I totally agree with you. I, I really am optimistic about where the Nets are. I think you're right. They have a, a stud defensive lineup with a coach that, that is a, a very up-and-coming coach that they signed to an extension that, that, that preaches defense, and obviously he clearly has a great roster for it. However, I'll ask you this. Do you think that the uh, quote-unquote treatment, we'll say, or the maybe word of mouth that may go around the NBA this offseason via Kevin Durant, via Kyrie Irving, do you think that may deter said future star from coming to Brooklyn? No. I I think that while players might love KD, players might love Kyrie Irving, I think they kind of of get it. Like, they kind of get that they're nozzles, right? And this net core right now, is pretty reminiscent of the one that got them Kevin Durant. And that's Kyrie exactly Irving, what I said. But they're but but they're better than they were. That's no. What he that's said. that's the, I literally when you left before I said that verbatim oh, okay. to Hertzman. Right. So they're they're like <laughs> them, but better. So now you you have the opportunity to bring because let's face it, this is a disgruntled superstar league. So no one's going to fault them for doing it again. Um. So, but if you end up with a with a, a KD Kyrie type talent who doesn't act the way that they do, the, the Nets are golden. I don't think that that word of mouth travels around the league with a lot of substance. I really just don't. To, hey, also, good point. What I will say, what I will say, did you see Kevin Durant's comments when asked about the Nets organization when he was doing his like 
I don't think it was a, I don't think it was like a after trade presser, but it was like some kind of Q and A with Suns reporters, and they asked him what he thought of the Nets organization, and he almost cried talking about them, saying that they brought they they let him do his own thing with the coming off the Achilles injury, they signed him to a max, knowing that there's a chance this guy doesn't come back and be exactly who he was. Um, he said he has nothing but love for the Nets organization, and he even mentioned Josiah. So. Kyrie may have had a problem, but let's face it, Kyrie's kind of a problem. Um, Kevin Durant was almost crying at this presser, got emotional when he was talking about the Nets organization. And I don't think that's the players. I think that's the coaches in the front office and the ownership. So it doesn't look pretty on the outside. I agree with you, but I do believe that Kevin Durant has no ill will towards the Nets organization. And I don't think he'd be one to spread any type of like false narrative. Kyrie, on the other hand, he could be telling everyone around the league that the Nets front office and ownership stink. But right, and like, I'm sure he said the same things about Boston. And how's it working out? Yeah, no, yeah, you're you're, you're yeah. right there. So now, my I guess uh, one more question I have on the Nets is, or uh, not one more, but who's the superstar? Michael Bridges. No, 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 no. Who's the one no. they need? Oh, oh, who's the one they need? Well, I said to you before Matt even jumped in the beginning, I said this is the perfect team for LeBron James. <laughs> like, this is the perfect team for him because he could just be the guy and just distribute all over the place to four shooters at all times. And I just think the Nets are primed for the next disgruntled superstar. I know um, we kind of just looked at a bunch of the teams. The only one I could really think of is Damian Lillard. But he won't ask out. He just will have he'd have to get traded by the front office. So I like the Nets. I love the moves they made, even though I'm usually not a fan of when you lose the superstars, but that marriage had kind of been, it's it was just waiting to end. So like the Nets going forward, love the roster, love Michael Bridges and Cam Johnson. So that's my take. So the last the last thing I'll say on the Nets, and I, just a name I want to float out there, Zion Williamson. I mean, I don't disgruntled, think... Disgruntled, could, could potentially a disgruntled superstar. Yeah, so like I just don't know if if all right, like if you're another team, like you're like okay, we'll trade for Zion Williamson, but I don't think that at this point you can get the like the Pelicans would get even near what they wanted for Zion Williamson because he doesn't play. You, you, I, look, all I want to do is just float a name out there. Yeah, <laughs> that's all yeah. I want because I want to be able to go back at this when Zion Williamson signs with the Nets and say that I was the first to do it. I love that stuff. <laughs> oh, it's funny. How about Lamelo Ball? Lamelo Ball would be nice, but he would totally come play for, in Brooklyn too, for sure. Ah, I don't know. They're saying Lamelo Ball might be the first uh, first guy to not sign that rookie extension and demand out before the rookie deal's over. That would be the worst thing for the NBA. He's got the I know, worst thing for the NBA. Amaz is he has the money like in the bank because he was making money before he entered the NBA. So like he doesn't need he doesn't, it. He don't. He don't need it. Quote unquote. Everyone. They all need that money. Yeah. Uh, before, all right, well. before we wrap up with Brandon here, there is a question I wanted to ask both of you. I'll, I'll pose my answer first. Okay. Seven. Uh, I, I just want a, a finals prediction. And I think I'm leaning. I love the Suns. And like we touched on earlier, having just the bona fide big three that they do now, as soon as everyone's healthy and having kept DeAndre Ayton, it, it's insane. They, they have a chance to be uh, like one of the best teams we've ever seen for the next couple of years. I, I like Phoenix and Boston. If I if I had to put my life on it at this very moment, Brandon, you can go. Um, I'll go. I guess. 
Listen, I'm just not going to bet on the Suns health. So I'm going to say Celtics over uh, Celtics are winning the championship. That's my prediction. They're going to beat not the Suns in the finals. I can't, I don't know if I can say the Warriors. I think I'm going to have to say the Nuggets. I think the Nuggets have a really good team. Yep. I'm, I'm picking Celtics and I think I, right now it's between the Clippers and the Warriors for me. It really is. I think the Clippers are so good. It, like they have, they just, just like we, they're literally the Nets, but they have a superstar and a half and a, a, a kind of a B level superstar in Paul George. And they are real. I think their additions are Bones Highland. Plumley is a dog. I think Plum, Plumley's one of my favorite players to watch. He's such a well-rounded big. Um, I really like them, but I, I really find it hard to bet against Steph Curry and the Warriors. I think so long as they're they're in you know punching distance and they can get to the dance, they'll be dancing. So um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They got there. Um, what's it called? What just I want to say: just get to the dance. Yeah, Bones Highland. He ain't sniffing the court in the playoffs for the Clippers. You don't think? Well, when are they nope. Westbrook? Well, they added Westbrook number one and number two. Bones Highland is. There's a reason why the Nuggets were giving him up for two second round picks. You think? Be uh, hey, hey, I, be- I believe in that too. I-, I like I like that that thinking too. Um, but okay. yeah, uh, look, time will only time will tell. And I think one thing we know about the NBA, especially with this given uh, uh, All Star break nonsense that just happened. Uh, it's all about the storylines and the soap opera and all that. So we never know what's going to happen in the next, you know, 25 games or so. So let's leave it at Best that. Best league in the world, baby. <laughs> Brandon, thank you as always. Love talking basketball with you. Uh, thank you to our listeners. Uh, please follow us on all of our socials. Uh, definitely going to have a podcast out next week going over some of our baseball predictions for the year. Getting excited for that. Thank you for listening as always and peace out.